Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to Ruth 2. We're going to be in Ruth 2 this morning. And uh, before I get into the, to the sermon, I just want to remind you, uh, Jason mentioned this card we have out in the lobby at the Next Step Station. This is the card we want you to take if, just to help you to know how to pray. The prayer prompts are in the back. Um, all of us have someone close to us but far from God that we want to see know, come to know Jesus. And, and we're just asking you for the next 30 days or the 30 days of, of March leading up to Easter, whether they live here or they live somewhere else, I encourage you to take this card and pray these four prayer prompts over them um, for every day in the month of March and just invite them to hear the gospel. Uh, whether it's this church or another church, we just want to hear and see people come to know Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you to take that today as you leave here this morning. Um, one of my favorite things growing up was going to my grandparents' house in western New York. My grandma and grandpa Rudolph, um, we just had a great family, and, and they were all farmers, and so just salt-of-the-earth kind of people. And um, my grandmother had 13 uh, brothers and sisters, so just huge side of the family when we would go up there and visit. And my dad was like one of the only ones that moved away. And so my dad, when we would come back, you know, my dad is a master storyteller. Many of you have heard him preach here before, and he just says, I'm un he just has a way of sharing and telling stories. And so um, he would get there, and just we would sit around my grandma and grandpa's table when I was a kid, and he would tell stories for hours. And we would laugh and we would cry. And it didn't matter if we heard. These were the same stories we'd heard a hundred times. We still, whenever our families got together, we had to tell these stories. I, I think what we read here in Ruth chapter 2 this morning is one of those family stories that you have to believe David and Solomon, when they are sharing the family lineage of, of, their, of their line, this was one of those stories. Uh, Ruth chapter 2 is just one of those special moments where we see God do something incredible. And if you are familiar with Ruth, we've we covered the last three sermons have been in Ruth chapter 1. And we have looked at the, the story of Ruth, uh, I'm sorry, the story of Naomi and Elimelech, their family in Judges chapter 1, or uh, in Ruth chapter 1. Uh, in the time of the Judges, a famine hits, and Elimelech and Naomi take their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they go to Moab to escape the famine. And while they're there, their two sons marry two Moabite women. So it's, it's a, a wrong trajectory in life. And then God starts allowing death to happen. First, it's Elimelech, the father, the, the patriarch dies. And then Melon and Kilion pass away, leaving Naomi with these two young widows. And now there's three widows and there's just, there's destitution and there's hopelessness. And she hears about, hey, God has visited his, the Israelites again. So let's go back to the promised land. And so they go back, they make their way back to Bethlehem. And, and on their way back to Bethlehem, uh, Naomi has three conversations with the three or with the two daughters-in-law. And she basically tells them, go back, go back to Moab. Those have families of your own. You don't want to stay with me. God's hand is against me. And at the, after the third time, you know, Orpah goes back, but Ruth clings to her and says, no, we're gonna, I'm going to stay with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will be buried. Your God will be my God. And Ruth makes this incredible covenant of commitment to Naomi for the rest of her life. And so they go back to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, when she arrives there, Naomi is a different person. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant call me Mara, call me bitter, because the hand of Yahweh has been against me. And so you see this woman who's been changed by the circumstances of life, by pain, by suffering. And, and she has this, we talked about this last week, she has a narrative about God and about her that isn't rooted in reality. And so at the end of the, the, the last verse in chapter one, the narrator is saying, 
hey, but look at all these things. She's missing it. She's not seeing the fullness of what God is doing. And so what we have now is, what is God going to do? Naomi came back to the promised land. Will God honor Naomi for going back to, to, to Bethlehem? Will God honor Ruth's commitment to Naomi? What will God do? And when I think about that question, that's the question I think a lot of us in this room may have. You know, you might be feeling a lot like Naomi. Again, you heard the sermon about the narrative that you're in, the hardship, the struggle, the pain, the suffering. And you're saying, God, it feels like you are against me. That the things in my life, I just look at them, it doesn't feel like you're there at all. Like, like Jason's saying, that, that line in the song, that when, when it looks like providence is frowning upon us, we don't see the smiling face of God. We struggle with this. And many of us are wondering, when will things change? I see this sign, all things good, but right now, it's not so good. And I'm struggling right now. That might be you. And the encouragement I want to give you today is that all it takes is a day to change everything. All it takes is one day. All it takes is one act of God. And we're going to see that in this passage this morning. I don't know when that day will come. But I do know this. God is faithful to his children. And God is faithful to making all things good and all things new in our lives as we continue to follow and submit to him. We just, it might not come in a way that we think or expect. And so what we have left with is Naomi is, is in darkness. But what we're going to see Naomi is make a complete change at the end of this chapter. So we're going to read through it. And I'm just going to read section by section and just kind of explain what's going on. And then we're going to have a, a time of just, what, what does this chapter mean for us today? How do we apply this to our lives? So let's, let's begin in Ruth chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, so what's going on here? The, the, the narrator introduces a new character, Boaz. And Boaz, we're going to see, is a major person to bring about God's redemption and kindness to Naomi. And how Boaz is described, how he's introduced, is he is a worthy man. It's, um, uh, it, it's a Hebrew word that, that basically means someone who's accomplished great military feats. And, and that's not what he's talking about here, but it's someone who's, who's accomplished, someone who who's, um, has strength. In fact, the name Boaz means strength. It's not the kind of strength that I'm pumping up iron and getting stronger. It's the kind of strength that kind of this internal strength. There's different words for strength that, that there are in the Greek and Hebrew. And Boaz is this word that means strength. There's a reason why when Solomon built the temple in the, in, in later on, one of the pillars he names is Boaz. And it's because of the strength that Boaz shows in this passage. Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. And so there's this idea of, oh, that Naomi's not alone. There's, a, there's someone else that could help her. And he, he's a worthy man. He's a strong man. But what will he do with his strength? What will he do with his ability to help Naomi? That's the question that, we're gonna be, that the reader is, is, is asking right now. And so then we get to Ruth. 
Ruth is sitting there. Again, Naomi and Ruth get back to Bethlehem. There's no welfare system. There's no social security. There's no like support system. If, if you were a, a, an alien or, or a, um, uh, an immigrant, if you were widowed or orphaned, the law, it was in the law, the book of Moses, to provide sustenance for you. And basically, this is what the law says. In Leviticus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy 24, there was laws of what to do. If you had a field or a, or a, a vineyard or uh, fruit trees, you are not to collect all the fruit of, of your labors. And what they, what they taught, what the Bible teaches is, hey, don't, don't harvest to the corners of your field. And when you glean, don't glean everything. Let some fall to the ground for people who are poor, for the, or again, for the, for the resident alien, for the widowed so that they can provide sustenance for themselves. I was talking to someone after the first service today. He grew up in Sicily, and he farmed very much like the way of farming that you hear today. And he was telling me how they had the same laws in Italy when he was a boy growing up. And so you see that there was these traditions passed on. How are we going to take care of the poor people? And, and so this is, what, this is what Ruth is going to do. She's going to glean in these fields. And she's going to try to provide sustenance for Naomi. But look again what she says. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him and whose sight I shall find favor. That is a really interesting thing to say. Because what what Ruth is saying is, I expect for God to bring blessing onto me. I I, I understand what the law says, that I'm just supposed to get the, the, the leftovers into the field. But I'm going to look to try to find someone to get favor from them. This one statement right here unveils to us the kind of person that Ruth was. She was someone who had this initiative. She's like, I'm not going to sit around all day. Again, Naomi's, she's depressed. She's, she's downward. Even when, when, when Ruth says, hey, Naomi, I'm going to go do this. She's like, go, my daughter. Doesn't even give her any instruction of where to go, what to do. She's just like, go. That's just how she's feeling. But Ruth shows this initiative. Not only does she show initiative, she shows hope. Hey, I'm going to find someone that will show me favor. That there's this idea that, that God's going to provide for her in, unbelie- in over and above ways. And so there's a hope that she has. And not only that, she has courage. One of the things that you'll find throughout as we read the rest of this narrative is that Ruth talks about, or people talk about, hey, you know, don't get, don't, leave her alone. Don't rebuke her. Don't harm her. That going out there as a single woman Going out there as an immigrant single woman was very dangerous. You could be taken, taken advantage of. You could be assaulted. And so she had the courage to say, I'm going to trust God to take care of me. She had the hope that says, I believe God's going to help me find favor. And she had the initiative that says, I'm not going to sit around all day. I'm going to move forward. You know what we call that? Faith. Ruth is showing faith. Showing faith that God is going to work. She, she's, she has risked it all to go to this land, to go to serve this God. And she's risking it all saying, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide for me. And so Ruth goes out and she's, she goes to this field. And this, you got to understand in those days, we're used to the farms, how you know, there's fences and stone walls. And the, in those days, there was just, just wide open fields. And little, there would be little markers in fields so that people would knew, know what field, you know, what owner part of the field ends and what begins. But for us, if we were to walk up to it, it would just look like one giant field, there, but there might be like four or five different owners of that field in different parts. Well, what does it say? That she 
She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to go to Boaz's field, who was, again, the author says, remember, relative of Elimelech. That just so happened. In the Hebrew, it says this. It uses the noun for chance meeting and the verb for chance meeting. It literally says, chance chanced her to go to the field. He's trying to make a point that it just so happened. I mean, I can see the, I can see the writer smirking on his face. He's be like, yeah, she just so happened. Hey, are there any coincidences with God? There's no coincidences. There's no happenstances. It just so happened. This is, that, that one verse there shows us a God who cares and loves us. And he is, as, as, as Ruth is moving forward in faith, God is meeting her. And, she's, and as, a, as the reader, we kind of know what's going on. Ruth doesn't know about Boaz. She doesn't, even, even when she meets Boaz, she's not going to know that he can do anything. And, but we see it. We're, we look behind the veil. We're seeing what God is doing to orchestrate. Remember the word providence has been one of the themes of this book. The providence of God is God moving through ordinary people in ordinary ways to accomplish his, his, his will. But why does God work his providence? God works his providence to produce his kindness in our lives. And that's what we're seeing here. So, so we, we, we have Ruth going to the field. Now, Boaz is going to come onto the scene. Look what it says. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back, from Naomi, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So what's going on here? Boaz shows up. And what we're going to see in this passage in chapter 2 are three conversations that Boaz has. Now remember in chapter 1, there was someone else who had three conversations. Who was it? It was Naomi. And Naomi, what, you're going to see, what we saw with Naomi is the three conversations that Naomi had was pushing people away. Get away from me. You don't want to be with me. God is against me. What you're going to see here with Boaz, with these three conversations, is Boaz is going to keep trying to bring people closer. Boaz is the God-type figure in the story where he's saying, no, I want, I want to bring you closer and closer and closer. Just like Naomi, who's in her pain, was pushing people away. What, what Boaz is doing is using his power, using his strength to bring people close. And so he, he has this conversation with his, with his uh, foreman, and we find out what Ruth was doing. Ruth came there to the field, and she actually asked an extraordinary thing. She actually asked that she could glean. What does it say there? She asked it to glean with, with the reapers. With, and she, like, why is that a big deal? Because she was asking for favor in this moment. We're going to find out later on how Boaz gives her what she requested. Boaz is going to give her this privilege, but she shows up asking for the privilege. What does that tell us again about Ruth? She is a woman of faith who expects God to provide. She is, she, this is what I think when Jesus is talking about having childlike faith. 
this childlike faith at times is this idea that, oh yeah, I expect God to do this. She hasn't allowed the, the hardness of life to, to make her cynical, to make her harsh. She expects God to answer. And so she shows up asking for favor. And obviously the foreman's like, I can't give that to you. But what we do know is this, that as she's, as she's, as she's gleaning amongst our, the reapers, what's happening is, this is how it would happen in the field. The, the, the men, the young men, would have their tool, their instrument, their, their, their sickle, and they would slice the, the barley or the wheat, and they would grab it and put it within, on, their, on their left hand. And it went, once it got full enough, what they would do is they would lay the pile down, and then the young women servants of Boaz would come behind them and bundle them up, tie them up, and prepare them to be harvested. And so this is what would happen. And what the gleaners would do, or, or the poor people would stand far back, and they would let the workers go through the field, harvesting what they could, and then they would just kind of pick up the scraps along the way. And so she's asking for a favored position. And so he hears, Boaz hears, this is, this is, this is Ruth. This is the young woman who came back with Naomi. And notice how he says, whose young woman is this? He just assumes she's a servant. He's never met her before. And he finds out who she really is. And so then, now we go to the, se- the, the second conversation of Boaz. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young, we- young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. We have the first interaction of Ruth and Boaz. And what do we see? What do we notice? Again, we get to see, we, we, we're understanding a lot about Ruth before, but now we get to know Boaz. What kind of man is he? What will he do with his strength? And what we see, what Boaz does with his power and his authority and his strength is he uses it for the benefit of those who are weaker. We see in this passage, we have Boaz going to, to Ruth and engaging with her at first. We see, we see Boaz giving protection to her, saying, listen, no one's going to harm you. No one's, no one's going to harm you while you are here. I will protect you while you're in my field. He gives her provision. I want you to go behind, stay behind my young women. He gives her a privileged place. I want you to reap right behind them so you're not far behind. And then he says, when you're thirsty, go get something to drink. He is showing the 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 provision and the protection over her. And he's also giving her grace, generosity. I want you to have more than what you could ask for. Here, take water. Take this privileged position. This, I, what Boaz is doing here is he's showing us what a real man is like. 
He's showing, he's showing the world, this is, young ladies, this is who you look for in a man. What he's teaching you as men, this is what a man does. A man provides. A man protects. A man gives grace. A man is not interested in, in just taking from someone. A man is interested in giving. That is what men should be doing. You know, I, I think when I, when I think about the struggle of most men, and, and many of the men I see, and I, I've discipled throughout the years, and even my own life, I think one of the number one things I see in men today is that men live for pleasure and not for purpose, and not for protection, and not for provision, and not for, not for grace. They use their power to take. They use their power to, 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 for themselves and not for others. And what Boaz is doing is he's painting this picture of what Yahweh is like. You, 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 you came here, Ruth. In fact, the other thing I love about Boaz that we see here in this passage, look at how many times Boaz talks about God. The, the, the name of Yahweh just is drenched in his talk. When he shows up, what does he say? Yahweh be with you. And the people, you know, the Lord, Lord bless you in return. And then when he's talking to Ruth, what does he say to her? Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord, Yahweh, repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given to you by the, by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz, Boaz's speech is filled with God. And you, you only talk about God when your heart is filled with God. See, Boaz understands that the power and, and, the, and the blessing, the worthiness, the, the accomplishment that he's, he's received in life comes from a source. Everything he has in life comes from Yahweh. And he wants Ruth. He goes, I, I want God to bless you. And it, it, I'm going... Stick a fork or stick a, it's not a fork, stick, stick a pin, stick a pin, okay? Um, and this one thing, saying he has, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That, we're going to see that again. That phrase will come up again next week. And it's, that's a very important phrase. So don't, don't forget that. Stick a pin in it. We'll talk about it next week. But Boaz is saying is this, Ruth, I want you, you have risked much. In fact, one of the things that the writer is doing, he uses language throughout the book of Ruth, referring to what Ruth has done, that is only language and words that are only used to describe the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What the author is pointing to is, here's another patriarchal figure in the nation of Israel. Someone who has left the lands of their mother and father and is risking it all to step out in faith and follow Yahweh, may God reward you. May Yahweh repay you. What Boaz believes is because you have risked much, God will reward much. And so this is, this is Boaz. He's inviting her not just, not just to, have the, not to provide and protect her, but to, to say, I want you to experience God the way I have. That's what Boaz is doing. So that leads us to the third conversation. Verse 14, it's lunchtime. So we have this, Ruth comes to the field. It just so happens she comes to the field of Boaz. 
And, and Boaz meets her and makes her feel welcomed. And Ruth just shows the grace and the humility. Notice one of the things also in the previous conversation, Boaz calls her my daughter. Ruth always refers to herself as, her, as his servant and my Lord. She's refusing. She's, refu- she's saying, I, I don't want to take advantage of this relationship. I know very easily I could try to, you know, you know mooch my way into something. And I just want to make sure that I'm looking for favor but I'm looking for favor because I have a mother-in-law need. I'm not looking it for myself. Both Boaz and Ruth are risking it all and leaning into, they're initiating this relationship, but it's for the good of someone else. You know when a relationship honors God, when both people are coming together and it's about somebody else. It's about the other person. Isn't that what marriage is about? It's about I'm here to sacrifice and love you. And so, so we see this, this, you know, the, the, the wording that she says there at the end of verse 13. You've spoken kindly to your servant. She basically, that in the Hebrew saying, you've spoken to me from your heart. I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff that, that women read and then you're like, oh, right? Like there's, some, there's sparks flying, but what's going to happen? What will happen to this relationship? Well, look at verse 14. It's lunchtime, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves and do not rebuke her. This is the same thing that she requested, to glean among the sheaves. He's saying, I'm giving her this. Do not rebuke her, do not harm her, do not yell at her. You treat her with respect. And also, verse 16, and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. He's saying, not only do I want you to you know, let her glean amongst the sheaves, I want you to give her the bundles of barley. Give them to her. What is Boaz doing? Boaz is continuing. It's, again, it's the third conversation. He's showing Ruth, hey, I want you to come eat here. You might not have much food. Here's bread. Dip it in this sauce. It's so good. Here's roasted grain. Both of these are, are you know, they're, they're kind of delicacies. He's inviting her into this inner circle, but yet she sits with the reaper. She sits with the workers, not close to him. And so what you're ha- you're, again, there's this relational dance that's going on. Boaz is trying to bring her close, yet Ruth is being very, very careful about how close she gets to him. And so, so as they're having this, I just can't help but think that this might have been the first meal that Ruth ate that, until she was satisfied in months. Remember, she was a widow. She lived with the widow. That, that meant survival. And yet, yet Boaz blesses her with bread. Blesses her with this. He gave her so much roasted grain that she had, she had to put some away because she didn't have enough. She, she, I, I can't eat anymore. And she saves it later for Naomi. But you see this, this kindness, that, this graciousness that, that Boaz is doing. It made me think of a verse we read in the New Testament when we, in Ephesians 3. For God gives to us exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Ruth is experiencing the exceedingly abundantly more than she could have even asked. She was looking for favor. She was looking, she was looking for favor, and God gave her favor. And we see that Boaz is an instrument by which he is doing this. Again, 
we get to the, the, last, the last kind of summary statement. So she's, she's had a good day. She's got there early in the morning. She has found favor with Boaz. Boaz has, has brought her close. Boaz has provided protection and provision for her. In verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening, until she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah or ephah of barley. Now, that might not mean much to you, but the reader of this in first century, or, or you know, back in the days and when this was written, they would be like, are you kidding me? She got an ephah of barley? Now, for those of us like, okay. What's an ephah? So the whole idea is if you were to glean the normal gleanings of the foreigner, the normal gleanings of the poor, the normal gleanings of the widow, they would probably have a handful of of food to bring back to their house to make for the day. The whole idea is survival. I'm going to harvest enough that that what I can glean is enough food that I can make a meal for the day. That you, you worked to survive, you worked to live, an ephah was 30 pounds of grain. 30 pounds. It would, have, it, would have, it would have sustained Naomi and Ruth for 10 days. 10 days. And so I can imagine Ruth, she would have had to take off her shawl to carry this, and she walks in the door of, of Naomi's house. And look what Naomi says, verse 18. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave to her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi's world is shattered. She is just like, what? I, I know you've been gone... What I've never I, I don't have words for this. Where where did you go? What did you do? She is perplexed. She's like, I know you said you were looking for favor, but you found favor. This is awesome. Naomi starts to come alive. You notice this? She's starting to come alive. She's now first for the first time in so many years is seeing blessing. And then, and then she's asking, where, where, where'd you go? And, and look what it says in verse 19. So she told her mother-in-law, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. That one name changed everything for Naomi. For the first time, the scales come off. She now sees she's not alone. She now sees how God has orchestrated the things in her life. Hearing about the fields being, oh, there's all, God's visited Israel again, and how she heard that, and going back, and how Ruth wouldn't let, leave her alone, and how she committed to her. She comes back, call me Mara, and, and Ruth goes out to the field, and just happens to come across the field of Boaz. Just that one name changed everything for Naomi. And look what she says in response. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. For the first time, she can go, God is... uh, That phrase, blessed is he, right? By the Lord. For his kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. The, the author purposefully 
makes an ambiguous statement, whose kindness is it? Was it Boaz's kindness or was it Yahweh's kindness? And the author smirks and says, yes. Naomi sees for the first time, God has not forsaken her. The hesed, the, the, the loving kindness, the, the everlasting love of Yahweh is still alive. And it's for her. She finally recognizes that God, God's there. And God is working. He hasn't forgotten her and he hasn't forgotten her dead husband. God is real. See, we need days like this. All of us, we need days where we see God is here. He's present and he's real. And for Naomi, it's a brand new world. It's a brand new life. Naomi, if we look at verse 20, uh, again, Naomi says, Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers, or gaols. It's, it's a word redeemer. We're going to look at that term again, put a pin in that word redeemer. We're going to look at that next week as well, because that's very important. Because redeemers were meant to bring, to bring restitution, to bring fullness, to bring to, to life that which is dead, to bring justice to the unjust. And so she's like, he's one of our redeemers. Now Ruth knows Ruth didn't know who Boaz was. She just thought, there's this guy who's really nice to me. And it was like, he's one of our redeemers. He's one of the ones who can save us. And, and look, look what else Ruth says in verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We see in this, you know, Ruth, it's like you can just see these women just coming together. And, and he said, I could stay there for the rest of, of the barley and wheat harvest. And, and this was good news. You know what this meant? Because we know that barley and wheat harvest lasted between anywhere between seven or eight weeks. If she was able to bring home 30 pounds of, of sustenance for, for, for eight weeks, you know what that meant? They could live for an entire year sustained with the food in this harvest. God is an abundant God who's working to take care of them. Man, this is a beautiful story. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day made in Naomi's life. What a difference a day made in Ruth's life. And what a difference it can make in your life. What do we do with this story? In the remaining moments, I want to give you a couple of applications of what we do with this beautiful story of Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. The first one is this. Be grateful for the just-so-happened moments that God has orchestrated in your life. Be thankful, be grateful for the just-so-happened moments in your life. I wish we could stop right now and let's just tell stories. Let's tell stories of when we saw God do something that was just, I, I was struggling with, it, with an illness and no doctors could figure it out. And then I went on a trip and I sat on the plane next to a person who was an expert in this disease, right? 
or we, we were struggling with financially and, and, and just, just so happened we met someone that we talked to and they, they, they gave us money or, or, or I, it just so happened that I was, I was on my way to a party and I, I, my car broke down and I met someone and said they told me about Jesus and it changed my life. All of us, every single one of us have a, it just so happened. And these are signs and these are moments that we need to treasure in our hearts because what they should be to us are monuments of God's love. Monuments of God's care to let you know you're not alone. I'm here. I'm taking care of you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. Some of us need to start taking, keep, you know, writing these things down. Telling the stories to our children and our grandchildren of the things that we've seen God do, that, and it just so happened. It just so happened. Isn't God good? That's number one. Number two, develop unexpected faith in God-like character so that God can partner with you in greater ways. Develop expectant faith in God-like character so that God can partner with you in greater ways. We have in this story Ruth and Boaz. And both of them are the, it just so happened. God, You can just see God orchestrating Ruth and Boaz in their life. And it's just like, uh, here you go. Now, why would God put his hands on them? Why would God partner with them? Because what we see from this passage is Ruth is this woman with incredible hope and courage and expectant faith. I'm risking much, and I believe God will catch me. And God's like, I love that, and I'll catch you. And Boaz is this man who has spent years developing the character of Yahweh to be a representative of him. The way that he has seen Yahweh love and take care of Israel, he wants to be a representative of Yahweh to say, I will be someone who, is, who can take the power and the authority that I have been given and share the love and grace of Yahweh with other people. I will leverage my strength for the goodness of others. And Yahweh says, I love that. I can use you. See, God is always, God wants to partner with us. He wants to partner with you. He wants to use you in incredible ways. But it may be your character that's holding you back. You're still living for yourself. And you don't care about representing Yahweh. Or your fear and your experience or the narrative of your head is keeping you back from really risking it. Really trusting God and saying, God, I'm going to step forward in this moment because unless you catch me, I will fail. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what Ruth's expectations were when she went out that they said, I'm going to find someone, I'm going to find someone who's going to show favor on me. And it was like, go ahead. See how that works out for you? But God blew her away. And God blows us away with his incredible sovereignty and providence and kindness when we have the faith and the character to say, God, use me. Here I am. Lastly, marvel at the undeserved grace and kindness that God showers on you. Marvel at the undeserved grace and kindness that God showers on you. For Naomi, one day changed it all. But here's the thing. What did Naomi do 
to get this blessing. What did she do? Nothing. She didn't do anything. She literally sat in her home in her depression and in her darkness all day long. She didn't do anything. She didn't even help Ruth prepare her for this is Ruth, this is what you're going to expect when you go out there. She's like, go ahead, daughter. She, she, in fact, she didn't just do nothing. In the previous chapter, we see her anger, her sorrow, her pain against God. God's against me. Call me bitter. And yet God met her in her bitterness. God met her when she wasn't willing to turn her face towards God at all. God was still showing her, I love you. That's our God. That's our God. You know, we're just like Naomi. And what this is a picture of is is a picture of the gospel. Just like Naomi did nothing to deserve this blessing from Yahweh, we, in turn, have done nothing to deserve God's blessing in our lives. We've done nothing to deserve His kindness. In fact, we have sinned and rebelled against Him. We have gone our own way. We have lived our own rebellious lives. And yet God, in His, in his love, in His compassion, gave to us Jesus, who came to, to earth and died on the cross for your sins and took on your condemnation so that we might have a relationship with Him. For Naomi, for her, it was, it was Ruth walking through the door with 30 pounds of grain, and how much more does Jesus walk into our lives and say, I ha- it's more than grain. Here's eternal life. Here's a relationship with me. Here's love. Here's goodness. Here's providence. Here's, here's, here's power. Here's my presence. Here's my comfort. Here's everything I'm giving to you. My hope and my love and my peace. Here's it all. Not just 30 pounds, but eternity. You have the fullness of what I have to offer. This is what Jesus does for us. We, like Naomi, have done nothing to deserve the blessing of Yahweh, and yet he gives it to us fully to the name of Jesus. And just like Naomi, everything changed when one name was mentioned. It was the name of Jesus. And that's the name for some of you this morning. You can't forget You've got to hold on to that name. You know what the name of Jesus means? Yahweh saves. Some of you are in need of God's salvation this morning. You're in need of him to save your soul. Because you've never given your life to him. You've gone your own way. You've loved yourself more than you've loved anybody else. And God is calling you for the first time to come to him. For some of you, you need Jesus because there is, there is something dark going on in your life. You feel a lot like Naomi. You, you, maybe you haven't been sitting at home all day, but, but in your faith and in your relationship with him, you, you really, you know, I'm not praying. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm, I'm essentially removing myself because of the, of the suffering and of the struggle I'm going through. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus will make a way. Jesus has a way of making all things new and all things good. It doesn't mean that the thing you're going through, the thing that you're suffering through, is good. It's not. 
But what God can do with that is bring a good and his good to your life that is unexpected. So what will you do with that today? One of the things we're going to do as we close out this morning is we're going to have prayer, some prayer team members and some elders scattered throughout the room. Wherever you see a table in the four back two and front two, we're going to have people here ready to pray with anyone who says, you know what? I feel like Naomi this morning. I feel stuck. And I don't even know how to move forward, but I just need prayer. I need, I need the name of Jesus to bring salvation to me. I need God, the name of Jesus to bring salvation to my life, to this situation, because I don't know what to do. But I need a day like Naomi's. I need a day like this. Some of you this morning are saying, God, I need a day like, like this. Don't lose faith. This story is meant to give us hope that God never leaves us or forsakes us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close our time here this morning, we're going to sing this one final song. And this one final song is a song, it's a prayer that we're going to pray over you. And during this song, I want to encourage you to just come forward and maybe pray with someone who, if you need prayer. Prayer for God, I need, I need help. I need God to show up in this situation in my life because I don't see it and I don't understand how God's going to show up. I don't know how the day, I'm going to have a day like this, but I need a day like this. And if you need to talk to someone and pray with someone for this this morning, we want to provide that for you. God, I pray right now for us in this room. You know our hearts. And God, I pray right now that we would be a people that are able to acknowledge your work, that God, we would re rejoice and celebrate in the just so happened moments in our lives. Maybe God, for some of us in this room and we hear the song, it's gonna be a song of praise because we recognize how you have been miraculously prov providing for us. God, for some of us in this room, we, we, are, we have not done anything to deserve your blessing, but we need your blessing this morning. And we're asking you to do that today. We're asking you to provide for us in ways that we can't even imagine. But yet we have this understanding that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Do that for us, for people in this room that need that verse, that need that hope, that need that faith this morning. God, do that. Show your kindness to them once again. We pray these things in your name. Amen.